The way that I pick races is, does it excite me? Does it scare me? And this definitely, you know, excited me to, yeah. there's no females who've done it. It looks like an absolutely incredible challenge and it terrified me. I didn't know if I was going to be able to finish it. So it kind of fit my criteria to right. give it a go. I mean, before this, I developed the belief and I still believe it, that there actually is no limits to what humans can do. It's only the limits that we put on ourselves, like physically, mentally, what we think that we're capable of. But I honestly believe that, you know, if you put your mind to it and physically you're able to, then there actually is no limits to what we can do. Anything I'm starting, I'm finishing, no matter which way or else I'm ending up in hospital uh -huh. and it's the crew pulling me off the course. So I guess... You know, back to what I do, like if something scares you, if something excites you, then move towards it. You know, if that's a goal that you're setting two, three years in advance, I completely relate. That's exactly what I do. But, you know, just make steps to move towards that end goal. Hey, that's right. That is Mel Yuri. And correct again, this is indeed the Ritual Podcast. <laughs> Rich Roll Podcast. Greetings, all you bipedal life forms wandering our mystical spinning blue orb. This is indeed a digital apparition of your host, Rich Roll. Welcome to the show, to the program, to the broadcast podcast. How's everybody doing? Are you ready to settle in? Good, because begin we shall. In the past month or so, I think it's pretty fair to say that I've been on a tear hosting conversations with a pretty impressive list of powerhouse women breaking all kinds of paradigms. And Mel Yuri, today's guest, has more than earned her spot as one of these powerful boundary crushers. And I, for one, am here to celebrate her today. Uh, devoted listeners will recall Mel's first appearance on the show, along with fellow endurance fiend, Danielle Grable. That was a little over a year ago, RRP 421. And in that conversation, we discussed their kick-ass performances as the first two females to ever complete Epic Five, a race I helped pioneer that involves completing five Ironmans on the five Hawaiian Islands in just five days. But then Mel had to go out and just <laughs> completely outdo herself and embarrass the rest of us along the way by becoming the first female to not only attempt, but to actually complete in just under 136 hours, this fatally absurd ultra endurance fever dream called Uberman, which is basically a 556 mile self-supported freak fest that Outside Magazine has dubbed the world's hardest endurance race. It essentially combines three of the most challenging endurance events into one, kicking off with this 21 mile swim from Catalina to the Southern California mainland. Uh, that's a feat most swimmers can only dream of accomplishing. And it's followed by a two day 400 mile bike ride from LA to the edge of a barren desert, climbing 20,000 feet before descending into Badwater Basin, which is the lowest point in North America, as well as the hottest. And are you done? No, you're not done. You celebrate this with the Badwater 135, just a quick 135 mile run across Death Valley and up a good portion of Mount Whitney before you can call it quits. Bananas, right? And Mel didn't just survive Uberman, she absolutely crushed it. And today she's gonna tell us all about it. But first. 
We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews, minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm gonna tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, and it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own NA beer company, Go Brewing. I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia, and he shared this story with me I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but basically you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code richroll for 15% off your first purchase. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. Okay, Mel Yuri. So this is a conversation about Uberman, of course, why she wanted it, what happened, what she learned doing it. But it's really much more than that. It's really a masterclass on mental toughness. It's about putting limiting beliefs in the grave. And it's about what it means to live a no excuse life. Uh, this one, this conversation isn't just for women. It's not just for those interested in exploring the world of mind-bending endurance sports. This one truly is for anyone and everyone out there looking to break the glass ceiling on your own human potential. So without further ado, let's get after it. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, thanks. We have a lot to talk about. We, we do. <laughs> it's a bit that's happened since we last chatted. I know, right? <laughs> um, not the least of which is, I didn't even know this because I've been at the house all morning, but Blake came in and he's like, hey, you know, do you know what's going on with the fires? And there was a big plume 
over the hillside, like just east of here. So it looks like maybe there's a fire in Topanga. I don't know. It yeah. isn't very windy today, but welcome to fire season in Los Angeles. <laughs> Why, thank you. We were actually driving up and I'm like, I hope that's not where we're going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, sorry, you can't do it today. <laughs> the roads weren't closed though? No, no, right. it was fine. There was no engine, no fire trucks or anything I could hear. Well, hopefully we won't get evacuated in the middle of the Fingers podcast. Crossed. Although that would be kind of like an epic episode. <laughs> yeah. like, Scramble sorry. and regroup somewhere else. <laughs> Um, but uh, good vibes only for that. We are we are in the midst of that season. Um, and I guess you had a couple fire situations during Uberman. Yeah, yeah, we what, did. What? So on the the first day of the bike ride, um, I was riding along and my crew stopped me and they said, "Look, there's a fire nearby. It's about five kilometers away. Don't worry, the wind's." going the other way. It's not going to go anywhere near you, but you'll be able to see it. And I was like, uh-huh. okay, yeah, no worries. And I'd seen like a red flash earlier on, but it was t- in the night, you know, my, I don't know if my eyes are playing tricks on me or anything. I didn't know if I was hallucinating. Right. So I just kind of went, oh, fair enough. And then um, I came around the corner. I have no idea where I was at that point in time. I wouldn't be able to tell you on the route, but I could just see this huge blaze of just these, <laughs> these hills just on oh, fire. No. And I'm like, oh my God. And I'm like, okay, let's just keep riding and not stop <laughs> near here. <laughs> As if it's not a challenge enough. Exactly. And then yeah. on the run, um, there was another fire. There was a car towing a trailer and the trailer apparently caught fire. And then I um, actually saw the car as it passed us on the run course and it was completely gutted. Like there was just a shell oh of it like, I'm like, like what is going on? Death Valley, like it's so hot, the car was actually on fire? <laughs> Pretty much. No, oh I wasn't I was in Death Valley at that point. I was past that point. But yeah, it was, uh, there. It was a long stretch between um, the first climb and the second climb along the mm. Along the highway there, so. Oh right, I yeah. Know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I'll be able to describe exactly where I was. I do not know names mm. of places, sorry. Well, the last time you were here was what was that? Like a year ago? Yeah, a year and a half almost ago or a year. Like that? It's like November last uh, year, right? Because you were getting ready to go do Ultraman, correct? Which I want to talk about, but yeah. let's table that for now. Um, because the bigger thing and the reason that you're here is that you decided to tackle this thing called Uberman, which I'm going to make you define in a moment. And I told you, if you survive it, <laughs> you got to come back and tell me about it. Because despite the things that I've done, I have a I have a hard time wrapping my head around this crazy challenge. Yeah. Um, so tell us what Uberman is. So Uberman, um, as the website describes, is the world's toughest triathlon. Mm. It involves the Catalina Channel Swim. I talk in kilometres, so you might have to right. use miles. Um, I, so, think he, I think Dan describes it as the ultimate triathlon odyssey. Oh, well, there you go. That sounds even <laughs> more amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's a 33-kilometre swim from Catalina Island across to the mainland. 21 and then, miles. There you go, 21 miles. Thank you. And then you ride, um, it's a bit over 600 kilometres, so it's about 400, 400 miles. miles. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then you finish um, at the Badwater Basin and then you do the Badwater Run Course to um, to Mount Whitney and you actually finish at the trailhead so it's a little bit past where the mm. Badwater Run finishes. Oh, wow, you keep going up. A little bit further. Uh-huh. I don't know how much because I haven't done Badwater. That last half marathon up there is ridiculous. It is. It really is. <laughs> yeah. I will not disagree with that. <laughs> yeah. um, so essentially it's in the way that Iron Man was originally devised to test um, who uh, who is the fittest athlete, the swimmer, or the cyclist, or the runner, by combining the Oahu open water, rough water swim with the ride around Oahu and the Honolulu Marathon. This is sort of taking it to the next level by combining three 
of, you know, what's considered, you know, some of the most challenging ultra endurance events in the respective disciplines. So you have the Catalina swim, which mm. is swimming from the island of Catalina to Los Angeles. On a clear day, you can see the island. There are plenty of days when you cannot. It's quite a distance. Um, riding your bike all the way to Death Valley from Palos Verdes and then running Badwater. I mean, for somebody to just run Badwater and nothing else, that's like a bucket list challenge of a lifetime, you know, that that people work decades just to be able to tackle and complete. But to put it on the back end of these other two things is truly astounding. And the fact that anyone can survive this is extraordinary. And not only did you survive it, you like crushed the women's record by some ridiculous number of hours, right? I was the first woman, oh, you were, sorry. Oh, you're the I'm, first woman to, to complete yeah, it. Yeah, wow. there was another woman who did it as a relay. So uh-huh. she, she did a bike, yeah. So I'm the, the trailblazer. Right. <laughs> and then Adam Scully Power, who broke the men's record by like 40 hours or yeah, something like that, yeah. right? And for those that are listening, Adam was a guest on the show in the very early days for like doing some crazy distance run like all the way across the state of Massachusetts or mm. something like that, right? Mm. Um, so that was really cool that the two people doing it have both been on the show. Yeah, yeah. And if you go to the if you go to the results page on the Uberman website, it's just like one name yeah. after every year. <laughs> this year there yeah, was three. Like, I was like, whoa, I know. we're triple. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what inspired you to even attempt this? So the Catalina swim and the bad water run are two things on my bucket list that mm. I really wanted to do. So I and Australia is very far away, Australia. so you might as well do them together. Correct. <laughs> you you understand okay. me? Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to step on your. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's fine. That's fine. Um, I guess like after Epic Five, my plan was to you know to chill, to you know relax, to you know not do any other endurance races. And then I was like, oh, I don't really feel like I'm done. So then I was like, okay, well I'll do um, Ultraman Hawaii. Mm. And then after that, I was like, well, you know, I'd, I'd already started to percolate the idea of doing um, Uberman when I think it was around the time of Epic Five or, you know, it was generally a couple of years ago. And then it, the idea just didn't really leave me and it just kept kind of going and going. And I was like, well, you know, actually I will have this fitness. I will be able to take it through. You know, I spoke to my husband about it and said, what do mm. you think? And he basically knows by the time I've brought an idea to him, it's already decided. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so then it just the way that I pick races is does it excite me, does it scare me? And this definitely, you know, excited me to, yeah. there's no females who've done it. It looked like an absolutely incredible challenge and it terrified me. I didn't know if I was going to be able to finish it. So I kind of fit my criteria to right. give it a go. Before we dive in and get granular on it, how did, like in a global way, how did the reality of it match up with what you expected? Um, it was It was really... I kept describing it as an adventure. Like I never thought of it as a race. I never, like there was no time whatsoever that I was racing. I know that I'm sure people looking from the outside in as on social media or, you know, watching my little tracker as I was going along, it looked like I was racing. But for me, I was like, I want to move through the course as quickly as I can, as efficiently as I can. And my main thing is I really wanted to test my limits on how far I could go and how far I could push myself. And I didn't know kind of my limits around fatigue. So I was like, that was a massive, massive unknown mm. for me. So that was that was quite, you know, quite novel to to experience that. Right. 
In terms of like, you know, kind of the, all the preparation, the organization beforehand, um, you know, we were kind of basically left to our, to our own devices. One of the, um, one of the other athletes, Jonathan, his crew chief, Fiona, she was amazing. Like she put together all the maps for everybody for the bike. And, you know, cause I had one of my other friends who've crewed for bad water before. So they had all that information and I had friends who had swum Catalina. So I could kind of pull resources right. from that. So that was that was really good. I was basically just kind of reaching out to my community and yeah. like, okay, help me with this. Well, it's an expedition, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's 556 miles. So of course you're gonna be tested in terms of the limits of your fatigue. Yeah. But the only way to complete it to the best of your abilities is to do it with efficiency in mind. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what racing that means. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's not something that I really feel like you can, you know, have that racing mindset if you know have to go as fast as possible because mm -hmm. it's more you have to be as efficient as possible to then still be surviving enough for like starting the run and then the last part of the run, the last half marathon as you said up Mount Whitney, that just it's brutal. Right. So Well, yeah. I think I think one thing, you know, on this idea of racing, one thing that that did distinguish your attempt this year from what has transpired in the earlier iterations of this odyssey is that you were kind of racing. I mean, you were doing, trying to see how quickly you could do it as yeah. opposed to um, the participants in the past who were like, I'm going to do this thing and I'll just, you know, I'll just take my time and it'll take as long as I want. I'm not going to worry about it. Like yeah. I'll, you know, I'll take a day off or I'll do whatever, you know what I mean? Like, cause there's no mm. urgency, like the idea is to complete it and I'm just not going to be in a rush. Whereas you were like, not necessarily in a rush, but like, how quickly can I maneuver my body yeah. across these 556 miles? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Absolutely. So when you first had this idea and set about preparing for this, like how did that affect your training preparation? Did you did you do things differently for this that you would for Epic Five or Ultraman? Yeah. So my big concern was the swim because initially I'm like, that's a that's a long way. And I hadn't ever swum over 10 kilometers in the ocean before. Mm -hmm. So in the start of 2018, um, I did a 20-kilometer non-wetsuit swim over from Perth to Rottnest Island in Australia, and that was my yes, you can do it. So uh -huh. I figured if I can make 20k's, I can make 33 because you know yeah. I'll have a wetsuit on. Uh -huh. You know, it's that, it's that mindset. I figure like you know when you run training for a marathon, you can do 32, you can do 42. Like the extra bit will just you're still there. You just got to keep moving yeah. pretty much. So that. I've got the the mindset of, you know, if you prove it, then you can do it basically. So that's how I kind of mm -hmm. got the confidence of that. And then this year, um, I always try and work on my running because I always find that's my my weak um, leg in triathlon. So I did a few, um, I think I ended up doing about five 50K runs um, uh -huh. throughout the year and then a 60K and then a 100K run because in my mind, I wanted to make sure that 50K wasn't an intimidating distance. So if I had, you know, 30, 50K left mm -hmm. in the run, I'd be like, well, I can do that. That's, you know, right. that's fine. So for me, it was a lot about kind of those mental battles to get through. Right. In terms of the physical training that I was doing, um, when I first said to my coach, Kate, that I want to do this, her response was, I have no idea how to train you for this. Yeah, <laughs> who like, does? Well, that's fine. You, you'll figure it out. Uh -huh. <laughs> I know, exactly. It's, it's so unknown. Um, yeah, so the way that she would do it is that she'd choose a sport a week and then just overload that. So have, mm -hmm. um, you know, like maybe four or five swims a week and have that as the main focus. Mm -hmm. And then I'd be, I did a 
couple of times where I'd swim kind of late at night. I'd be getting out of the pool like eight, nine o'clock and then be back in the pool about like five, five thirty the next day. So it's that not really letting your body have much break right. between to kind of accumulate that fatigue to get used to that as well. Um, and before any of my races that I did, I'd always do a run the day before, like, you know, between like 10, 15 K, which is not something I'd normally do before. But just before never well. doing anything rested, right? Like Pretty always much. doing it on tired legs. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, okay, some, some 50, 60 K runs, 100 K run, but that's different than, I mean, the bad water is, is twice that 100 K run when you're exhausted. Yeah. You know, like that's a whole different ball of wax. Yeah. Um, I would imagine that a big part of this is managing sleep deprivation and how far and how much you can push yourself with a reduction in sleep. So how did you think about that in your prep? And we'll get to the race part in a minute, but just in your training, did you like get up in the middle of the night and do stuff or try to go on two hours of sleep or any of that? No, no? I didn't do any of that. <laughs> um, because I, when I did Epic 5, I got minimal sleep and mm. was still quite functional. And then right. I, um, when I used to do night shift, I've done like really big training blocks, like 20, 25 hours a week managing with night shifts. So I know in my body, in my mind that I can push through fatigue and, you know, I'd be so exhausted to the point, you know, I'd like almost fall asleep standing up sometimes. So I didn't feel like I needed to, you know, do those kind of middle of the night training because I can still, if I need to switch on, I switch on very, very well, very Mm -hmm. quickly. So yeah. And actually, um, I reached out to Iron Cowboy and I said, you know, Hey, just need some advice around, you know, sleep and, you know, management, management fatigue. And he's like, you don't manage it. You just deal with it. And I was right. like, okay. I'm like, but that <laughs> made sense to me. Like that, uh-huh. you know, that kind of, that really just reduced my anxiety around it. And I was like, okay, well, I'll just have to manage with whatever I do. And so right. during the race, we just had different sleep plans. Like could I go this long or if not, stop me and I'll have a sleep beforehand or, you know, whatever. So we just right. had a bunch of different plans and and did that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's something that's really rough for me to be able to like have the aptitude to manage that. That's a, a talent in its own right, mm. I think. Yeah. 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 I, um, I think my crew were quite surprised because I'd sleep for a couple of hours and I'd actually be quite refreshed from that. I'm like, that's uh-huh. all I need. And then I'll keep going for, you know, 12 hours or whatever I needed right. to. So, yeah, I know. <laughs> it sounds how many, so strange. How many crew members did you have? Um, so I had probably six core people. Um, so I decided I wanted to manage them in shifts because I didn't want the same people the whole way through mm-hmm. because the crew fatigue is going to be incredible compared to my fatigue as well. They're probably going to get less sleep than I do. So I had um, like a night shift and a day shift. And then I had another couple of people who like one guy came in for the start um, for the bike and then he had to go and then I had another friend. Um, he I left my glasses on the boat and so he um, Uber delivered them, as he said. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then um, as soon as he arrived, he's like, well, I'm not leaving till this is done. So, yeah, he was he was uh-huh. hanging around as well. So. Are they are they friends that live here or did friends come from Australia? So I had, well, my husband came over right. from Australia and then I had another friend um, from Sydney and then I had other friends, one from Canada who drove down, the friend who brought my glasses to me from San Diego and then some others um, from Arizona and, uh-huh. um, yeah, and Pennsylvania that I'd actually met right. at Ultraman last year. Mm. So kind of all over. So this Uberman thing is the brainchild of this guy called Dan Burku, who is lives here in Malibu and I've known him through friends for a couple of years and he's a real estate guy. He's actually the landlord of Joy Cafe, the, the restaurant that we're 
partnered in. Um, and I remember when he first told me about this idea that he had, he was inspired. He turned 50 and he was inspired to like get fit. And he came up with this crazy harebrained idea. And he was like, I'm, I'm creating this thing called Uberman. You should do it. And I was like, I don't know, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> is it a thing? Like, are you really doing like, are, I think it just started with an idea. Like, let's see if it could be done. It wasn't like canonized as some kind of race, but he's now created some semblance of structure around it where he hosts this thing every year for, what is this, the third year, fourth year? Uh, since 2016, yeah. yeah. Um, but part of this is that it's not an organized endeavor where you show up and there's a meeting and like you, you're handed a packet and here's the, all the things that you have to worry about. It's very much a choose your own adventure. Like, yeah. okay, here's here's the thing. This is what you have to do. Now go do it. Correct. You know, and it's Correct. kind of all on you yeah. to figure that out. So you arrive here and um, and you just what? Like you just go out to Catalina. There's, I'm assuming there's a start time and you know everybody who's competing starts at the same time or how does all that work? You just no. start whenever you feel like it? Or yeah. Like, <laughs> okay. So originally the start time was like 6 p.m. on uh-huh. the 10th. And Adam, he had a boat captain that he'd organized and the boat captain's like, I can't do that time. We have to start on the 9th. And all Catalina swims start generally around 11 o'clock midnight. Mm-hmm. So starting at 6 p.m. would be ridiculous because you're going like against the tides and it's not right. not a smart time to start pretty much. So there was kind of discussion amongst um, the three of us who were doing it and we're like, okay, so what does your boat captain say? What does yours say? When should we start? You know, Jonathan, who was the other guy who did it, um, he's like, well, I want to start earlier. And then, you know, so it was basically everyone just started at different when, times. So okay. I, think uh-huh. he, I think Jonathan started like maybe about 9 Adam jumped in the water about quarter to 10 and I was just after 10 p.m. on the 9th right. on that night. So it wasn't even we're all starting at the one time. It was uh-huh. just, you know, just start your watch, off you go, basically. Right. So I'm particularly interested in the Catalina swim leg portion of this um, because my coach, Chris, uh, as you may know, like uh, Otillo is doing a race in Catalina. I think it's March 1st. Or oh, I didn't February know that. 28th. Yeah, oh, it's cool. coming up and he's like, hey, we're all going to do it. You got to do it. And then we're going to swim back from Catalina <laughs> after the race. He's like, you got to do it. And I'm like, how many times have I swum in the last month? Like, I'm not exactly, you know, fit for this, but it has my wheels turning a little bit. And I've had, mm. I have plenty of friends who've done that swim. Mm. My buddy, Hank Wise, who was a, a teammate of mine at Stanford, I think he has the record and he does it like, I mean, he's constant. he does it all the time. Like uh, he's constantly yeah. doing it. Just I, like a lap of the I pool. I think he has the fastest, yeah, the fastest crossing time. Um, but I'm interested in, in your strategy for that and what it's like to swim like in the middle of the night. Like yeah. it, it's gotta be freaky, right? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was really cool, actually. I yeah. really loved swimming at night. So... I've got a a lot of swimmers um, that I know who do the English Channel swim. So Uh I always track them and it's always like this big S curve bend and I'm like, you know, the tides push you around everywhere. And then I had a couple of friends do Catalina in the two weeks beforehand and their swims were a straight line. I was like, ah, so this is actually quite easy swim in terms of the tides Mm. not pushing you from side to side and things. So um, that kind of reassured me of, okay, I'm not going to be battling, you know, the whole time. So... High tide was about 8 p.m. So if I was to do my time over, I probably would start a little bit earlier to catch a bit more of the tide mm-hmm. um, because, well, you know, 
you jump in the water, you swim down to Doctors Cove, which is where the swim starts. So you get out of the water if it's an official crossing because right. your feet have to be dry on both sides to make it official. Um, but mine wasn't because I was in a wetsuit and, you know. I right, yeah, to be super official, you, you no wetsuit. Right? Yeah, 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 and you're not allowed to, like, touch the kayak or the boat right. or anything. There's all these all these rules you have to have observers and everything. So I didn't have didn't have any of that. Um, but I did have a kayaker with me. Um, and because I've done Ultraman and you always feed from the kayaker, I found that was like, that's what I'm used to. I don't like mm-hmm. feeding off the boat. So that was, that was really handy. Um, but they've got, so they just positioned me between the boat and the kayak and there's glow sticks on either. So I know, and I breathe both sides so I can see where I'm at mm. in terms of. On the boat of or dangling in the water? On the boat. On the boat yeah, yeah. They just hang them off the side of the boat. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And you just like, keep your sighting is really easy then. Yeah. Especially if it's dark, that's well, all you see, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like I love swimming with kayakers because I don't have to look forwards. I just look to them mm-hmm. because, you know, I'm not doing the sighting. I'm not doing the navigating. Right. That's the boat and the, the kayaker. So that's, right. that's really, I quite enjoy that. And how long did that, did it take to do, to do that swim? Uh, 11 hours 54. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, wow. so it was it was cool. There was um there was one particular point. I think it was for a few hours where I was like swimming through all these little salt things or like little kind of block looking things. I don't even know what they were. Someone said they were calamari. Someone said they were salt things. But they lit up um, from just the light from the boat. They were oh, all just wow. glowing. It was just it's absolutely mm. absolutely amazing. So, but no death defying uh, encounters with large wildlife, marine no, wildlife. No, there was no sharks. <laughs> okay. It was funny. I said to what my, is the shark deal with that? Like, has there ever been a shark situation with the channel swimmers? I I don't I don't think so. Um, but you know, my very helpful friends were I'm tagging me. For, in a, I'm asking for a friend. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> this is not a. <laughs> No, my my very uh, helpful friends were tagging me in Facebook posts a couple of days beforehand about a kayaker that had been attacked by a shark. Like the shark had come up oh, and beat his kayak. That's, help, like, that's really helpful. Thanks, thanks guys. Yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> but actually I said to my boat captain beforehand, I said, look, this isn't an official swim. If there is a shark and you're concerned about it, pull me out of the water, but I am allowed to get back in and continue swimming. Mm-hmm. So he's like, and he just laughed at me. He's like, there's not going to be shark. It's fine. He's like, I've seen sharks like half a dozen times. And majority of the time when there's boats around, there's too much noise and they stir up too much of the water mm-hmm. and they actually don't like it. So mm-hmm. they usually, they stay away. So That's comforting. It is very comforting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and what was the fueling and hydration strategy for such a long swim? So every 20 minutes I had my kayak out because I couldn't see. So they had a whistle that they'd blow for me to go over to the kayak um, and I'd have some electrolytes and water and then um, I'd use like the baby food packets or some gels um, just you know to something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, I try and keep it pretty much liquids when I'm swimming just because I can't digest yeah. a lot as well. Um, at one stage I did try you know have a cookie and that didn't really sit very well so I was like all right we'll just stick with yeah. stick with what we have. Um, when I swim because the first 20 kilometers was really nice I could barely had to turn my arms over to, you know, move forwards. And then the um, from then on it got quite rough. And so, um, yeah, I wasn't feeling great and I felt a bit sick, but I was still trying to get uh-huh. nutrition in because I'm like, well, this is only a tiny little portion of this whole event. Right. I can't be completely depleted just yet. So When you're like 10, 20 Ks into it though, do you ever have a moment where you're like, holy shit, like I'm way out and, you know, there's no land anywhere near me in in any direction? Oh, I kind of don't because yeah. I know there's a boat there. So yeah. if anything happens, I know that I'm going to be safe. 
So like my, my anxiety around things like that is based around risk. So if I was out there by myself, even with just a kayaker, I probably would have been a lot more scared than if I had a boat uh-huh. with me. Cause I'm like, well, I know that if something happens, they'll be able to help me out, you know, and then, then I'll be okay. Right. So, and, know. and mentally, I mean, if you're riding your bike or you're running, there's things to look at and you can kind of, you know, entertain yourself with the environment, but in an event like that for 11 plus hours, you're just seeing black, like yeah. you're not seeing anything. Like how does that affect your mental state? Like, do you have techniques for keeping your mind engaged or what does that look like? I just let my mind wander all over. I yeah. just think about this and that and everything. Um, if I am starting to struggle, then I'll tell my kayaker. Um, I'll tell, you know, I'll tell somebody, I'll tell my crew, you know, mm. not feeling that great. And generally, um, and I do this on the bike and run, I would have have generally come up with some kind of plan about, okay, well, maybe we can try this, maybe we can try that. You know, that might be able to help something different. Uh-huh. I found the time probably about three, four o'clock in the morning really, really hard because that was when I was getting really tired and I just needed the sun to come up. Mm-hmm. So I'd, um, in between my breaths, I'd close my eyes and like, maybe I can have a little micro sleep between, <laughs> between breaths. Oh like, While you're okay. swimming. While I'm swimming, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but then, you know, once, once the sun starts to come up and it gets light, then you just, it rejuvenates you. Then, you know, your body yeah. starts to wake up a little bit more again and that was hard. But the most mentally challenging part, I actually had a friend who does a lot of kayaking for the channel. He said, um, in the last like quarter of the swim, don't look towards the shore. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, okay. So of course, what did I do? I looked You're towards gonna, the shore. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is- It looks like it never changes. Yes. Yeah. And you never get any closer. So uh-huh. I looked at my watch and I was, my Garmin, I was about, you know, 10 hours or something. I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I'm about an hour away from shore. You know, I might, you know, get this done in around 11 hours or something. And my kayaker even thought I was closer than what I was. And he said to me at around 11 hours, he's like, oh, this will be your last feed, then we'll be in. And then like two feeds after that, he's like, you know, this will be the last one. I'm like, yeah, you, you said that. I can't uh-huh. let go. And he's like, I'm sorry. Which we, we both had that illusion that we we're closer and then you just don't feel like you're getting anywhere. Right. And because the ocean's so deep, you don't have any of that underwater navigation to tell you you're still right. moving forward as well. And I just kept looking at my car and go, no, no, he's still stroking, he's still moving yeah. forward. So. <laughs> it's kind of an optical illusion. And there's something about <laughs> open water swimming that plays with your perception of time. Yeah. Because you'll swim, I, I should say, I share my own experience. Like, I would think, oh, there, it, it's been at least like forty minutes since I looked at my Garmin, or like I try not to look at it in, unless I just feel so compelled, because you want to feel like you're making progress. But you'll have this thing where you think an hour went by and it's only been ten minutes. Yeah, like, yeah, I get that too. I mean? <laughs> yeah. You're like, surely, oh no, I, I shouldn't yeah. have looked. <laughs> right, and and yeah, having yeah having no. Depth, the, the the lack of like, there's nothing in the foreground to gauge the depth of how far away the, mm. the shore is. Yeah. Screws with you. Yeah. I mean, I just fine. remember just even at Ultraman, and part of this is currents, like when you start getting into Kehoe and the the, the current shifts and mm. it starts pressing against you. And that last, you know, mile feels like forever yeah. compared to the rest of the, the swim. Yeah, I agree. Know? So, all right. You get out, you get out, and and typically in this in prior incarnations of this adventure, the person has done the swim, and they're like they call it a day, right? Yeah, they at least take a break. Yeah, but you just get on your bike and start going. Oh, I slept for two hours. Oh, you did. Okay. <laughs> How indulgent. Uh- <laughs> I know. Um, it was funny because Dan um, met me when I was walking up the path to the RV and he's like, oh, you were too quick for me. So I didn't 
I mm. obviously don't think he expected me to be that quick. And um, he said to me, oh, so what are you doing? You know, you're going to stop and have a sleep and things. I'm like, yeah, I'll stop for a couple of hours. And he's like, what? What, what, what do you mean? Like, you know, so you, and he's like, no one's ever ridden on the same day of swimming. And I was like, well, this is going to be the first year because that's my plan. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was um, 11 a.m., right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I wasn't going to just hang out uh, for the rest of the day and not start riding. So, Dan, who do you think you're talking to here? <laughs> Don't you know who I am? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So, because we had an RV that we um, had for the whole whole race. So I had a bed to lie down on, which was amazing. That was such a luxury for, yeah. for an event like this. I had a toilet. I had somewhere to lie down, somewhere they could keep food and, and everything for the mm-hmm. crew. Um, yeah. So my plan was always, you know, sleep for a couple of hours, just in also for that, you know, still feeling in the water, your head just a bit, you know, swaying and things, trying to get that mm. feeling out, which I didn't really have, but I didn't want that straight away on the bike. Cause that'd be right. quite dangerous to be riding through a lot of traffic with that. Yeah. I mean, after being horizontal in the water for that long, just walking up on shore is a weird thing. Yeah, it was. It yeah. was. Because where you land on the beach, there's a lot of big rocks and a big submerged rock. So you have to be quite careful when you're getting out of the water as well. So, um, and the tide is quite strong, so it'll pull you back and then push you forward quite intensely. Mm. So you have to kind of grab onto rocks and just hold onto it. But mm. I had my crew help me get out and then just sat down for a little bit. And I had this, you know, group of half a dozen women just going, so what have you just done? What's, tell us what's happening and uh, what are you doing now? And that was, that was very sweet. Um, so but I had that's a, the same place where all the channel swims at. Like there's, it's that one specific point, Oh, there's right? a couple of oh, beaches. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's one of them. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you take a nap and then yes. you get on your bike yes. and, and it's kind of on you. Like, is it just, all right, next stop, Badwater Basin, and however you want to get there, you get there. Is there there is there like different routes to get there, or you can just do what you want, or how does it work? So um, the guy who did it last year, Jared, he had given us the maps that he had used um, for the race, and from like his paper maps, then another girl, Fiona, had tracked the route and you know clarified with Dan mm-hmm. and Jared, you know, is this the, where we're supposed to be going? So I had the routes. Um, all uploaded onto my Garmin and we'd printed it all out, you know, and had like basically where we're supposed to be going because it wasn't it wasn't like a choose your own adventure, try and go around because then my crew would have no idea where I was. I would have no idea where I was. Yeah. I don't know the area at all. I've never mm-hmm. been there before most of it. So it was just our plan was basically get as far up the road as you can and then have another sleep. Right. So, yeah, it was just, you know. See, see how you go. But I really wanted to get out of the city. I wanted to get past Malibu. I wanted to get more into the countryside before I before I stopped to rest. So did you, so you're in Palos Verdes, then did, yeah. you went up north through Malibu? Yeah. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. wow. Up through, up PCH? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was beautiful. I was going uh-huh. along PCH as the sun was setting as well, which was, which is really quite, quite pretty. And then eventually we turned inland. Like once you got up to Point Magoo, like where it flattens out, or do you know? Do you remember? Do you remember, Michael? You don't no. know. Yeah. No. <laughs> somewhere no around here. Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. There was a turn. I turned. Uh-huh. <laughs> what is your bike setup for this? Like, obviously, you want to be aero, but you want to be comfortable, right? Like, how do you? How did you figure out how to? 
get that sorted out? I brought two bikes over. Uh-huh. Um, so I came over early and I did a 70.3 in September. So I brought my um, tri bike over for that. And then Michael, my husband, came over later and he brought my road bike over. Mm-hmm. Um, so the original plan was, you know, just kind of mix it up a bit. Um, I started on my road bike just because, you know, there's um, a lot of stop start in traffic. So I was like, well, that's probably going to be the better bike to ride through yeah. that section. And then I actually ended up staying on it for majority of the of the bike portion. Um, there was a couple of parts which is really nice and long and flat and I just said to my crew, I'm like, I just need my shiv. I just mm-hmm. want to go aero for a while. I want to be in a different position and stretch my back out. And, yeah, that was that was really helpful. And there was one point when I got a flat tyre on my shiv and so that I could just swap bikes over. Right. So that was that was really helpful as well. And how did how did uh, how long did it take you to do the bike and how did that break down in terms of sleep versus like, you know, sections? Like how many miles did would you go before? Yeah. So the first the first day on the bike. So in my mind this is like one long continuous day. So I'm still a bit yeah. hazy about yeah, yeah, when yeah. and where and how. So um I ended up riding about 150 kilometers and then I stopped for about an hour. I didn't sleep. I was going to, but it was just nice just to lie down and not be moving, just have something different to eat and had a bit of pasta, had, you know, something else. And I got back on the bike and I said to my crew and I'm like, it'd actually be really cool to try and get to 200 kilometers tonight and then I'll stop and have a a decent sleep. So, Mm -hmm. you know, sleep for, I think it was like about three hours or something. So I know, decent (laughs) sleep. (laughs) Um... And then uh, I was probably about like four o'clock in the morning that eventually I I stopped um, because, you know, my crew were just, they were over it. They're like, we need a rest. We Mm. need to stop as well. So you're fine, but they need a break. Well, I was getting tired, (laughs) but I was also mindful of them as well. You know, they'd been going, you know, basically since I got out of the swim and they hadn't had a, a rest since then. Um, and then, cause that was the day when we went past the fires because then my other crew had stayed back, um, in Rolling Hills where we had an, um, Airbnb, mm-hmm. they ended up taking about five hours to get through the traffic cause they'd closed a bunch of roads. So my night crew ended up turning into half of my day crew as well. Oh, wow. So yeah, I'm kind of glad that I did stop when I did. So then they could actually have a bit right. of a rest as well. Yeah. So two hours after the swim, your first legit sleep into the bike is a three hour nap basically. Yeah. yeah. And then how far, how, how long is the next leg? So you then, must be getting out into nowheresville by this point. Yeah. Though. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So then, um, I think I ended up, I can't, I, I don't know where my garment is. I'm going to find it when I get yeah. home. So I can't tell you exactly, but I know I ended up over 300 kilometers cause I remember stopping at around the 300 K mark. And I said to my crew, I'm like, I've just done 300Ks in under 24 hours. I'm like, that's pretty cool. So I was yeah. pretty, had a little moment of a celebration there. But I remember riding down um, the highway and my vision started to get a bit blurred and my mood was really bad. And every time my mood goes bad, I think, okay, I need to eat something. And I was eating and nothing was changing. I'm like, okay, this must be, you know, I must be really tired. Mm. And then my vision just started to tunnel in and get a bit blurred and all over the place. So I stopped and I said to my crew, I said, look, I'm going to need to sleep. Can you just find somewhere we can stop? And then, you know, we'll be okay. Because we're on a highway at that time, but there was a lot of space on the right. side. And they ended up just like stopping a couple of k's down the road and said, we're not off this for another 20 k's. We're just going to stop you here. So uh-huh. I stopped and slept for another couple of hours there and then got up and got going again. And what is the nutrition like on the bike and what kind of meals are you eating? So when I'd stop, um, initially I was having like pasta, trying to have some, you know, some kind of other carbs. Um, 
But in the in the swim, my mouth ended up getting quite burnt and I ended up getting yeah. like really bad ulcers on the side of my tongue because I had some mouthwash, but I probably wasn't using it often enough and because I haven't been in salt water for extended periods of time like that before. My mouth just was like, what are you doing to me? So mm-hmm. um, after a while, like eating became more of a challenge um, because it was just so painful to, to try and have anything. So I'd have things like watermelon and coconut water and just – things that I could still get in and still, you know, have something basically. And then on the bike, um, I was having a mixture of um, sandwiches. I find they're always generally really easy just to eat and get down like, you know, peanut butter and jam, yeah. um, Biscoff, which is my new favourite spread. Which what is, is that? Oh, it's incredible. It's this cookie butter spread. Oh, it so is some kind of delightful. like Australian Vegemite no, thing. It's, it's not at all. No, it's a Dutch thing. And I can we can only find it in America. So when we come over, we get that. But it's vegan Biscoff? friendly. Yeah. Yeah, I told right. some others about it. They're like, so tell me, what, what is this again? And wrote yeah. it down. They're like, where to find this? Um, yeah, it's just, it's just a different flavour, basically. So I was having that. Um, I was having cliff bars. I was generally eating bars and things more at night time because I find when it gets hotter, I can't digest as much food and, you know, as much things Keeping like that. Keeping it more liquid during the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah liquid. And, you know, I, I try and eat as many solids as I can on the bike because I know I can't have that amount of solids when I'm running. So yeah. I try and kind of get... Many yeah, because you're not just way. eating for what you're enduring in the moment. You're yeah. you're eating for the next day and the next day and the next day and yeah. the next day and yeah. the next day. Exactly. I learned that from Epic yeah. Five. Like everything I did in that was for day five. Right. So I was like, I can't stop fueling day two because I still I don't know how long this is gonna take me. So mm-hmm. I just had to keep keep eating. Well, this ride. It feels like, oh, you're just, your LA is pretty flat and you're going to Badwater Basin, which is the lowest point. So this must be, you know, kind of a straight shot, but there's 20,000 feet of climbing. Yes, there is. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, there is. (laughs) Yeah. So it was, it was really, really full on. And then the last big climb was the first climb in the Badwater Run as well that we did to Mm. come down into Mm -hmm. the basin. So, you know, I did that in... Oh, I think it was like the middle of the day. So that was full bore, intense sun, trying to get up that. So what I actually did in that is because um, the RV was too big to be able to stop on the side of the road, we had a friend um, who had a car. So I every so often I'd stop and just jump in that with the air con just to cool my body temperature down before then I got back on and kept right. kept riding. Yeah, it's trying and to And I that. would imagine with every successive hour, it's getting a little bit hotter yeah. and a little bit hotter. Definitely. <laughs> a little bit hotter Definitely. until you just... Drop down into the bowl of hell. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, because I um I got down to stovepipe and my there'd been a miscommunication with my crew because they'd said to me, you know, from um stovepipe it's 40 kilometers to the Badwater Basin, but it was mm-hmm. actually 40 miles. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, 40K, yeah, I can do that, I can do that. Um, and I was talking to one of my friends and she was like, no, you've like it's like 70K. I was like, um, what? And it just, yeah. because I was so tired by that point, I just wanted to sleep, but I just needed to finish. And then I could sleep because it was getting, I think I ended up finished like 4, 35, 30 that night. So I uh-huh. wanted to finish before it got dark and just have the bike done. So right. yeah, I found that was probably the most mentally tough part. And was the idea that you would sleep the whole night and get up and run or just get another couple hours? I you're looking like you at me been like listening. Yeah, you're looking at me like like what? <laughs> sleep the whole night. What are you Did you crazy? ever get like just a full night of sleep? No. 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 Okay. Once I finished. Wow. <laughs> and then I didn't really sleep. All right. <laughs> no, so I 
I think I ended up getting about another like three hours sleep um, because we wanted to try and run through the night um, as as much as possible because, you know, bad water's really hot. Like it's not as hot as July when bad, it's July, I think, when bad water's right. actually run, um, but it's still kind of low 90s in Fahrenheit. So it's, you know, still, mm-hmm. still quite hot. So I started running, I think it was about 9.30 at night and then we ran through um, – to that big Oasis Hotel. Um, I can't remember what that's called. Yeah, I know what you're talking yeah, about. Well, that's yeah. where they have the headquarters for the Badwater Race, oh, okay. I believe, yeah. if we're thinking about the same place. Yeah, it's just something that just- It's just weird. It's like this big hotel with a pool and everything like that, but it's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and, you're and like, it's all these- built this here? All like, these green plants when yeah, there's nothing. Yeah, like everything's know, dead. Yeah. And then suddenly this place and you're like, I am I dreaming this? Yeah, it's very strange. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's one thing to ride your bike- you know, across Los Angeles and into the desert. But once you get to Badwater, I mean, this is national park or state park, like it's preserved land. Yeah. Um, and from what I understand, it's not like this is a permit, it's not like a permitted race. No. So, and 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 I also know that, that you know, the Badwater run itself and other uh, races that have tried to be conducted in this preserve have had, you know, sort of leg- like like difficulties getting permits and it's not easy, mm-hmm. right? So knowing that, the possibility existed that you would get there and they'd say, what are you doing? You can't do this here. Yeah, that was, that was a very <laughs> yeah, real possibility. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And um, Dan So do you said- have to play it low key or like yeah. did you have, you know, sort of encounters with the rangers where you had to tell them what you were doing or- um, I know that Adam did um, because he had his car follow him directly behind him and they said, you can't do that. You know, mm. what are you doing? What's going on? Right. Um, and then they just left him alone after that, thankfully. Um, but, yeah, that was a that was a very real concern. And so, you know, we were, were quite concerned about, you know, the amount of cars around me and the amount of traffic and, you know, because by that stage I had – so it was a car that was kind of taking my crew off to go and sleep and then coming back and then we had mm-hmm. the RV and then had another friend um, who was kind of hanging around and we're like – we can't have a big circus around this. Yeah, like we don't want to. Yeah, we don't want to draw attention. They'll shut you down. Exactly, exactly. And you know, like my my friends from Arizona, like they're very, very aware that you know that was a possibility. We could have gotten kicked out, and you know that's the last thing I wanted. I've come, you know, this whole way. I've done, right. you know, three days worth of you know intense swim bike, and I didn't want to, you know, just oh, I see you later. You can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so we actually did have the ranger come over and talk to us because I stopped the run and had a rest at um, Stovepipe in the car park there. And so the ranger came over and was like, oh, you know, you're camping here. You've been here for a few few hours. You know, what's going on? Um, and one of my crew talked to her and was like, no, 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 it's okay. You know, she's like, oh, you know, I've got these, these signs saying Uberman, you know, what's this about? And he's like, oh, you know, it's just... I can't even remember what he said, but he basically just played it right down and said, no, no, it's not a race. It's okay. You know, it's just I'm here, you know, supporting a friend who's a paramedic. He's like, I'm just providing medical support just in case uh-huh. anything's needed. And she seemed to accept that right. explanation, thankfully. But yeah, could, yeah. Could have gone the other way. Easily. Yeah. Easily could have. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it was it was a concern definitely in the back of our minds that we're like, we just need to try. Uh-huh. I mean, because there was three of us. So it wasn't like it was a massive hundred people running through all of a sudden. but. Right. Yeah, still, we need to be careful. Did you have any crew meltdowns? No. Really? Not that I know of. Do you know? I didn't maybe hear of any. Maybe it's kept from you. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I might have to ask them I again. I mean, <laughs> that is a lot to ask of it another is. human. It's like, yeah. that is a very difficult job. Yeah, huge. Especially when huge. you're not sleeping at all. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, when I'm on the go the whole time. No, yeah. no, it was... Um, 
I I feel like I picked the right people to come with me and they were all just in it 100%, you know, no no questions and everybody just the dynamic worked with everybody. Everyone got along really well, thankfully, because you know that's always the yeah. concern, you know, they're going to be infighting and, you know, people are just going to quit and be like, "No, nah, I'm done. Can't work with this person. Mm. I'm out." Um yeah, three of the girls knew each other really really well, so I just kept them together cuz I'm like, "Well, yeah. You know, he may as well. So, and you're yeah. not you're not divorced. I am not divorced. <laughs> yeah. I'm still happily married. Yeah. How does all of this work with your marriage? Like, it, it look, it's got to put a little bit of a strain. Definitely, you know. Yeah, it can't be easy no. to tackle something like this and, no. and be present for your relationship. No, I, it more comes up during the during the training really yeah. than the race. I mean, the race. I know that. Well, Michael, you can set aside everything for that. Like, yeah. 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 Yeah, and I know that like he doesn't sleep a lot, even like, and the biggest thing we were talking about it afterwards was being away from me was really quite stressful for him because he's mm. like, I'm not there, I'm not in control, I don't know, I can't see you, you know, are you okay? And even in a couple of days, wasn't really sleeping beforehand, just the, the kind of stress of it all. But yeah. I mean, yeah, when we're at home, absolutely, because I mean, Michael has a shell of me really like in my big intense training weeks like I'm a zombie I'm you know right. I'm using all my energy to get through my work days and then my training and then there's not really a lot left over at the end um and I guess the way that we kind of manage that is that we know there's an end point to it it's not like mm-hmm. this is then gonna continue on for you know this the next is your year, lifestyle the year. for uh, yeah. yeah exactly yeah. exactly it's like well this is what it's gonna be like it's gonna be really quite you know intense for probably a couple of months and then, you know, we'll do this and then afterwards we'll have a bit of time together and, you know, we'll have a bit of a holiday together. And then, you know, I've, I've already said, I'm like, this is my last mm-hmm. ultra for a while. So, right. yeah. But and now it's his turn to like do something exactly. crazy, <laughs> set aside whatever it is you're doing. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. I think he yeah. earned it. Yeah. He's over mm. there, he's nodding. Yeah, big time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So how, it took you how long to do the bike then? Like um, three days or something? No, just over two, two. Just over two, right. like 50-something hours, yeah. Uh-huh. I, Dan originally said I got the bike course record, but I'm pretty sure that belongs to Adam. I, mm. yeah, have to check my my times, but. Right. Yeah. Um, all right, and you just immediately set about this run. Yes, yes. <laughs> do, you, do you see any of the other, do you see Adam along the way at all? Like, is there any encounters? Is Dan at the, like, anywhere to be found in Badwater, or you're just freestyling it? Yeah, so um, on the swim, like I saw their boats. I saw Jonathan as I passed him in the water. And then mm. on the bike, I saw Adam once and I was so excited because I just happened to look down this road and there was a crew car there and I was like, oh, my God, I haven't seen you. And so yeah. I stopped and had a chat with them and that was that was really lovely. Um, and then I didn't see him for the rest of the time. I saw him, him and his crew, they'd already finished and they were heading off, but they came and found me on Mount Whitney and, you know, stopped to have a bit of a chat. And then Jonathan I saw when I was heading out of stovepipe up the climb and he was coming down on the bike. Um, so that was really nice to be able to give him a hug and just, uh-huh. you know, wish him well. Right. Um, I saw Dan on the first day and that's when he's like, what, what are you doing? Why are you not sleeping? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's Uberman, yeah, that's why. Exactly. It's like we don't sleep in yeah. Uberman. What are you talking about? And then um, I saw him again. He came and found me on the run um, on the – so I ran through over the first climb and then had a stop in Lone Pine and then he saw me there. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, no, it was a bit before on the second climb. Um, and then he had to go back to LA so he wasn't at the, wasn't at the finish. Um, so he – because they've got this – 
big um, like hammer thing that they like for the athletes to be able to like hold up at the end. So he's like, right. oh, make sure you get that. I'll make sure you get your little pin and, you know, oh, I'll, I'll see you later. And uh-huh. yeah, like he, he tried to catch up with us today, but I was like, well, we still got the RV. Like, I don't know if we're actually able to park it anywhere and it was just end up getting a bit too hard. So yeah. fortunately we didn't see him. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, for people, I've said this before on the podcast, but for people that don't know, the Badwater course basically considered one of, if not the toughest foot race in the world, 135 miles across Death Valley. Uh, they do it, you know, in, in the peak of the hottest, you know, time of the year where temperatures can be up to 120 at times 130, like when you're coming through stovepipe wells at like two or three in the afternoon. I think they started at different times now, but though in its yeah. original incarnation, that's what it was. And and everybody, you know, wants to talk about the heat, but what goes underappreciated or unnoticed is how much elevation gain there is. There is crazy climbing. Like there are massive climbs throughout the course and it culminates with this ridiculous climb um, up the portals of Mount Whitney to like 8,000 feet. And you just said you actually go past that little campsite. Yeah, you go just even a further? little bit to the Why? trailhead. I don't know. There's a sign it's a, there. Because it That's has just, to be yeah. just a little bit harder. Like <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> oh, God. We, yeah, we uh-huh. can't make it easy for us apparently. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. That's that's us, Dan. <laughs> right. Um, but you are doing it at a little bit of a different time of year, so the heat's probably yeah. just a little bit less intense. And I don't have the 48-hour cutoff as well. So mm, when right. I started the run, I was like, there's no way I'm going to do this in two days, which I didn't need to. I didn't have to. That wasn't yeah. a wasn't a pressure Who that I cares? had. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's, I'm like. But you were still doing the, basically out on the course for 12 hours and then sleeping two to three or something? Or what was the strategy there? No, so we'd extended my sleep um, for the run. <sighs> I know, so I know. <laughs> I had like four hours at one point. Oh so God. I think I was up to five. Oh, there was planned for five. Anyway, um, yeah, so when I got to that, weird oasis place. I, well, I think I slept there maybe about four hours. Um, and then when I got through to stovepipe again, I think there was maybe like a three, four hour because I mm-hmm. finished that at maybe like 11, 12 o'clock. So my crew were like, well, there's no point in getting you out on the road in the hottest part of the day to start climbing. Right. So you may as well have a bit more of a rest. Um, and my friend, one of my crew members, Willie, he has done like 250K runs and things. So I was asking him for a lot of advice about what do you think my sleep should be like now? And he said, you know, run shorter, sleep longer, and we'll get you through. And I was like, okay, well, that, you know, that made sense to me. I mean, at this point, you're so deep into it, an extra hour of sleep would pay way more dividends than like, oh, I got to be out there and then just fall apart. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And like my sleep overall, I ended up getting a lot more sleep than what I thought. Like we worked it out and I got like over 30 hours sleep over the whole the uh-huh. whole thing. So in my mind, I'm like, that's actually a lot of sleep. <laughs> oh, luxurious. <laughs> um, yeah. So then um, we got, so I went over the big first climb and then up to Lone Pine and then had um, a few hours sleep there and then like woke yeah. up in the morning. Did you was, just check into one of those hotels or are you sleeping in the RV? Sleep in the RV, just yeah. in a car park uh-huh. somewhere. Yeah. Just pull in. Hopefully no one comes and knocks on the door and said, what are you doing? Right. So I'm only there for a couple of hours. So it wasn't, wasn't too bad. Yeah, and so then I did the next big climb and then- Out of um, Lone Pine into, the, Lone into Pine. the portals? Yes, yeah. uh-huh. yes. And then 
What I, what I really noticed when I was incredibly fatigued and needing to stop, my body would tell me. So like mentally, I'm always generally pretty switched on and I can tell you what's going on. I can tell you what's happening. But I would feel that my legs, instead of like running straight, I'd start like almost like I was, you know, trying to ride a horse. Like my legs would start swinging on the outside instead of going, going straight. Uh-huh. Or I'd, um, I'd suddenly just take a random step sideways just for no particular reason. Uh-huh. And my body's just like, you know, just having right. a bit of a meltdown. And you start acting like a drunk person. Correct. <laughs> then I'm like, time, 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 to pull her, time to pull her off the course <laughs> yeah. for a little bit. Yeah. What, so how long did it take you to do the run then? Um, I think it ended up being about 60 hours. Uh-huh. Yeah. And what was the hardest part of this whole thing? Like, where did you really meet your maker? I think it was probably coming to stovepipe in the the heat of the day. That was when I was really just mentally going, this is really tough now. Um, before that, on um, that section on the bike that I was talking about, which was interesting because I, I was saying to myself, I'm like, well, this is what you wanted. You wanted to try and push yourself. You wanted to try and find your limits. And it had actually felt relatively easy until that point, just like uh-huh. mentally to get through because I'd been keeping my heart rate so low. I'd been feeling really well. And so then when I had that challenge, I'm like, okay, well, let's embrace this. This is this is what we really want. But yeah, probably that that section when it was incredibly hot and mm-hmm. like in the Catalina swim, you can see where you're going to and you're like, oh, that's only two miles away, but it takes forever to get there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right. yeah, like just trying to trying to fight, fight that sleep. And then the other time was um coming into the base of Mount Whitney, um, that Little town there. I can't remember what that one's called. Do you remember? Isn't that Lone Pine? Is that Lone Pine? Oh, yeah. Tell you, one continuous long day. I can't remember. Um, The little cowboy town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So when we're coming into there, um, I was so tired and all I could do, like I just had complete tunnel vision because I I have a crew member with me at all times just for safety and because I like company. And so they've got a headlight on. And so I'm like, just shine it in front of me. And all I could do was look at that. And I couldn't look sideways. I couldn't look at anything else. And I was just like almost falling over. And I'm like, just get to the RV. Uh And then um, finally my crew's like, see that sign there? That's where you're going to. I'm like, I can't even look up. But okay, good. (laughs) We're almost there. Yeah. But never a moment where you're like, I got to pull the plug. Like I can't. No. can't go any further. No. Never. No, I when I did Ultraman Canada in 2014, I had a, a really a hell of a time. Like I battled the whole way to get through that. And then I realized afterwards I never thought about quitting. And I said to myself, I'm like, well, if you didn't want to quit then, that's now gone out of your mind. Like I never yeah. think about quitting. It's always anything I'm starting, I'm finishing, no matter which way, or else I'm ending up in hospital uh-huh. and it's the crew pulling me off the course. So Wow. Yeah. Did you use earbuds at all? Were you listening to anything or just no. old school? Yeah. yeah. I don't listen to anything on the bike. I don't like that. I like to be very aware and attentive to everything around me, mm-hmm. especially in a different country, wrong side of the road for me. Don't really know what the car drivers are like uh, over excuse here. Excuse me. The, yeah, cor- I don't... the correct side <laughs> correct of the road, side. I think is what you meant to say. <laughs> the opposite side of the road to what I'm used yeah. to. Um, yeah, so... I mean, like I'm used to the drivers in Australia. I know what they're like, but I don't know what they're like over here. So I mm-hmm. don't want any distractions. Was there and any then, close calls with cars? No, actually everyone was really, really good, thankfully. Um, and when it was at nighttime, I had a car, my crew were driving behind me. So I felt mm. felt quite okay with that. Yeah. 
yeah, and I was I was really really lucky. Um, and then on the run, I had a crew member with me at all times. So it was great because I had three days of not talking to anyone. Like I'd get in the RV, yeah. I'd sit there and eat and then I'd fall asleep and I'd get back up and get on my bike. And so I'm like, all right, well, let's chat. Like let's, uh-huh. you know. But never like, hey, maybe I could listen to some music or like an audio book or something like that to uh, just like engage my mind in a different way, especially when, you know, the fatigue sets in. One of my friends had a speaker that he chucked down his top. So we were able uh-huh. to listen to a bit of music. Um, so that was pretty cool. And then in that really long stretch um, before you get to Lone Pine, um, my friends in the car, like they were cranking the tunes for me as well. So there was right. there was a couple of couple of moments with some music. That was really fun. It's a party. Oh, it really was. It was great. Well, I'm getting the impression that this was all just a casual affair and you just knocked it out. Like you're so low key about the whole thing. <laughs> you know, like it was yeah, not I did easy. it. It was like it was hard, but I didn't ever felt like quitting and it's all good. No. Yeah, and it was, like, it was so funny because Dan's like, was it hard enough? Was the bike hard? I'm like, no, no, the bike was well challenging. Like it's uh-huh. it is a really, really hard, hard race. I mean Dan's like disappointed that you weren't more tired or something. I think probably that I didn't look as bad as you probably should have. <laughs> But I, uh-huh. I have such a good poker face on the bike. You can't tell when I'm suffering. Like I physically won't show any signs really mm. until I'm like way, way down, down the rabbit hole. So, and I got, managed to get onto everything before it ended up being yeah. that bad. I mean, I did have struggles. Like I, you know, my mouth was really painful. Like I'd have, I'd have to use mouthwash quite regularly. And then, you know, you'd tell when mm. I'd used it. Cause I'd be like screaming cause it'd be so painful um, my wetsuit tore strips off my neck. So Yikes. I had this, um, cause I taped it that lasts about 10 kilometers. Yeah. So I had like 25 Ks with no tape, no nothing. And my wetsuit just like <sighs> jarring the hell out of me. So, I mean, you know, my paddlers at one stage, you want me to do something about that? I'm like, well, what are you going to do? Like, there's nothing. I'm right. just going to have to put up with it. So then on the bike, turning my head was quite, quite hard yeah. to do. Um, and I'm used to turning right to look for cars instead of turning left. So that was that was kind of screwing up. <laughs> yes, your neck yeah, a bit. totally. Do you know who you know Ross Edgeley? Yes. The guy, yeah. Did you see the pictures of what his neck looked like? Yes. The yeah. Suit? He literally had you know he just had duct tape taped all around his yeah. neck to like try to keep that from getting worse, yeah. but it was gnarly. I do, I don't know what what you could do about it. Like yeah. yeah. Once anyway. it starts, like well that's it. Yeah. You're just managing it. Like you're not yeah. going to get it to go away. Yeah. Brutal. Yeah. Well, you can only train so much, right? No matter what event it is that you're preparing for. So when I look at this, I just see somebody who who is very fit and has a certain amount of talent, but whose real gift is this extraordinary capacity for mental fortitude, mm. right? Mm. The fact that you didn't lose your shit that you're a poker face, that you can keep it together when the rubber hits the road, you know, like all these things over such a protracted extended period of time through every type of condition and situation that could get thrown at you demonstrates somebody of great composure. Mm. So to what do you attribute that? Or do you have like, do you train that? Do you have techniques for how you develop that level of focus and fortitude? Like, what does that look like? 
Yeah, so um, if you ask my parents, they would say I was very stubborn growing up mm. and so now I call that mental strength. <laughs> right. Okay. Like my stubbornness is an advantage It's been now. rebranded. <laughs> correct, correct. Yeah. I've just reworded it. Um, yeah, no, I work hard on my mental strength. I, um, As soon as my coach says to me, okay, so we're going to start training for whatever the event is specifically from this time, I start my mental and physical training at that time and that's just a decision that I've made in myself. So every session that I do, I'm thinking about the event, I'm thinking about the finish line, I'm thinking about the process that I'm going to be going through, you know, to get to that. Mm -hmm. Um, Any session when I'm training that I find really hard, it's kind of a mental battle to get through, I'm reminding myself, I'm like, okay, use this in the race. You know, you've got through this. How did you get through it? What did you do? You know, like use all these strategies. Then you can um, you can transfer into when when you're doing the race. So I kind of, I don't see physical and mental training as separate. I see it as both together and they need to be done simultaneously. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I definitely do that. And I do have strategies and mantras that I use throughout events as well. Um, and yeah, I was, you know, I was saying to my crew at one stage, I'm like, okay, so this is a mantra I'm using now and this is what's happening now because I'll just tell them everything that's going on in what my mind. What are the mantras? So, um, one of them, especially when I first start is don't be a hero. So like, don't go out too hard, be conservative, mm. you know, pull back. Um, and I just kind of imagine like I just tuck my ego away in my pocket. So yeah, I just don't, yeah. don't let myself get out of control because you're going to need that energy towards, towards the end. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of my main one that I use for that. Um, when it's hot, um, I use a few different things as well. So my um, previous coach, Craig, he'd said to me, you know, you've got to stop complaining about the heat and saying how badly it affects you. You're going to have to figure out a way um, to be able to manage it. So I was like, okay, all right, you know, how am I going to do this? And so I use a couple of things. Um, I Every time, you know, I can feel the sun and if it's really intense, I just, you know, express gratitude and I'll say, you know, thank you, thank you, for, you know, for the sun. And mm-hmm. I imagine it um, giving me energy and kind of like, you know, powering right. me along. All of my gingerness is absorbing yeah, this. It really is. I know. <laughs> you look at my pasty yeah. skin, I'm like, I should not be in the middle of the sun yeah. in bad water. <laughs> you should be doing this in Scotland or something, right? <laughs> I really should. Yeah. yeah. Dan can create Uberman in Scotland. Uh-huh. <laughs> That'd be perfect for me. <laughs> Cold weather all the way. Um yeah, so I do that and I never verbalize that it's hot. I never say it out loud. Um, and if anyone says it to me, I always respond automatically and I just say it's not that bad. Mm. Because for me, if I speak it, it's my truth. And so then, you know, I don't ever want to, you know, to say it, say mm-hmm. it out loud. Um, and I'm always, always checking in with myself all the time. How are you feeling? How's things going? Is anything hurt? Is anything going on? You know, can you adjust anything? You know, do you need to eat something? Do you need to drink something? And, you know, so all of, all of those things, just constantly doing, doing all these different checks and, and talking to my crew as well. Like, you know, I'll be feeding them information. You know, if I stop, I'll say, okay, so this is what's going on for me. This is what I need. It's what I need you guys to do. And then kind of using that energy as well. Um, Often it's the other way around though, where the crew has to kind of compel the athlete to eat or drink because the athlete doesn't want to. And there's a, there's, there's sort of a tete-a-tete, you know, that goes on. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like you're pretty in tune and you're mm. not the person who's resistant to, you know, all of that. No. And, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I've learned over time that I just can't, like, I just have to, you yeah. know, I just have to give in to that. Um, yeah. And, you know, at, at some stage I do say, I don't know what to do. I need you to help me make a decision here. Mm. So, but again, like I've already told my crew that I might get to that point and then they might have to help me and then, you know, they're, they're amazing and then they right. step up. So, 
Yeah. Well, a couple things. So you finish you finish this race. The first thing I want to know is like, how did that? What is the emotional, you know, experience of completing something so massive? Um, and what second to that, and more importantly, like, what did you learn about yourself? Yeah. So finishing, I finished during the day, which was incredible. I was the only one who managed to finish in daylight. The other mm. two finished at nighttime. And when I saw Dan in Lone Pine, I said to him, I'm like, specifically, I've seen pictures of Mount Whitney. I want to see it in daylight. And he's like, yeah, perfect. And I ended up finishing about like two o'clock in the afternoon. So it was, it was really, really cool. Um, I didn't, because I haven't been there before, I didn't know specifically where the finish line was. So I was uh -huh. kind of like going, okay, where, where am I finishing? Is this it? Is this it? <laughs> <laughs> and one of my crewmates uh, is like, Mel, it's over there, it's over there. And I'm like, yeah, it, it's okay. I see it. It's okay. Like, mm. I don't need to hurry. <laughs> I've done it. So like, There's nobody uh, yeah, else around. Exactly. I'm not racing for a finish time here. <laughs> um, but I actually had, like, you know, all of my crew there and then just um, quite a few random people who they're like, we know something's going on here and we want to know when we want to be mm. a part of oh, it. Just so, people that were hiking and yeah, camping and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And there's one woman that said, oh, you know, we saw you coming up when we were driving. So she's like, so we knew we had to wait around for another, you know, 10, 20 minutes. To, to see you finish, which right. was really, really special. Um, I was just, oh, I, I don't know. I can't even really describe the feeling that I had. It was just absolute amazement that I'd actually, I'd done that. Like this was, you know, I'd managed to mm. complete this goal. Um, I was, yeah, really, really happy, really overwhelmed um, and just full of love for my crew as well. Like, you know, they played a huge part to be able to get me yeah get me through to the finish. It was just, it was amazing. And I just kind of sat down and was like, wow, like it just, it's, I don't even think it's still sunken in yeah. that I managed to do that. Um, and it's pretty what, crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Do you have video of you completing it or a video taken along the way? Yeah. I had a documentary, um, oh, the guy did? doing it. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So that, that actually came about completely random. So I had a, one of my crew friends, um, it's his work friend and he wants to get into documentary filmmaking. So he contacted me and said, can I do this? And I was like, yes, uh -huh. <laughs> I would love that. So, um, yeah, I don't. So film is in the works. It is in the works. That's yes. very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, we'll just have to wait and see mm. where that ends up, what happens with it. We don't have specific plans, so we'll just have to, have to wait and see. Right. So that'll be. Yeah, it'll be pretty amazing to be able to actually relive all of it as well because I know I will have forgotten a lot right. that actually happened, like my fuzzy brain. Yeah. <laughs> I remember everything, so that'll be cool. You get a pass yeah. for, <laughs> for that, I think. And and back to the question, like what, mm. did, what did it teach you about, uh, about yourself and also just about potential and the capacity for the human being to do amazing things. Yeah. I mean, before this, I developed the belief and I still believe it, that there actually is no limits to what humans can do. It's only the limits that we put on ourselves, like physically, mentally, what we think that we're capable of. But I honestly believe that, you know, if you put your mind to it and physically you're able to, then there actually is is no no limits to what we can do, which is kind of scary if you think about it in that way, yeah. about what, um, what can do. And in terms of what I learn about myself, the main takeaway that I have for now, I mean, I need probably about like two, three months to reflect on this and actually really kind of dig in and find out what it, what it all means. But when I first went to the, um, you know, we all got together for a dinner before Uberman started with the athletes and crew and Dan, and I walked in and for the first time ever, I didn't feel like I didn't belong there. Like mm. I always have this kind of imposter, you know, 
you know, someone will walk in with a group and be like, oh, where's the athlete who, you know, who am I supposed to be looking at? And, you know, always kind of be like, I don't, I don't belong here. I don't fit in here. And it was the first time and actually caught me by surprise because I hadn't really thought about it. And I just went, I, I have earned my place here. I belong yeah. here. So that was, that was That's pretty cool. Because cool. the imposter thing is something you've talked about before. Yeah. And I think it's something that you were battling when you came on the podcast. Totally. Oh my God. (laughs) I had the biggest meltdown afterwards, just going, Who the hell are you to come on here? Like, (laughs) uh, seriously, like, uh, yeah, no. Danny and I were talking about it. And we're both like, Well, if no one listens, at least our mums will like it. (laughs) A lot of people listen to that. Oh, I got so many messages afterwards. It was, it was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm good. I'm glad that you've overcome that. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. that's no, that's a big thing. Yeah, no, it is. It so is. Like walk I, in and own it and be like, yeah, this is where I belong. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, I think yeah. you've played your your girl card, your girl power card. Totally. <laughs> at this point, <laughs> I don't know if there's anything else to prove. I mean, does it leave you thinking like, what's next? And now I got to go do some cr- other crazy. Like, that's sort of the the allure and the danger, right? Like, oh, mm. I did this, so now I can go do this, and you can kind of chase that dragon your yeah. whole life. Yeah. At what point is enough enough, or what is it that you still need to learn, or you know, is it just about the experience, or is there something unhealthy about kind of making your whole life about these crazy things? Yeah, so, I mean, I've done three years worth of ultras, so I did Epic Five, then uh-huh. Ultraman Hawaii, and now Uberman. And I know if I try to train for another ultra, it's going to really just destroy my brain. I'm just not mm. going to cope with that. So I, I already knew before I did this, this is going to be my last ultra for a while. Like I just really need to step away from it because like the training for this has really mentally taxed me because also work has been really, really busy, really intense. I haven't had kind of any downtime at all in my life. So I just, I really need some time and space just to, yeah. you know, reduce, reduce the mental load, reduce the training and get back to a little bit more of a sense of normality in my life. Mm. Um, I will still like do races and do events, but they just won't be, won't be as long. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll, you know, I'll come back to it, but just not for a while. Right. After the thing was over, was there like a dinner with Adam and Dan? Like, were you able to swap war stories and, you know, have a meeting of the minds with everyone? Or did everyone, did you just split and like, I'm done, I'm, <laughs> I'm leaving now? Like, how did that work? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, Adam came and uh-huh. saw me on Mount Whitney and he was flying out that night because uh-huh. he could only come away for a certain amount of time because, right. you know, got family and had to get back to. And then um, Jonathan finished a few days afterwards. So we were all kind of too far apart, really. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I had um, like my crew, we all hung out that night and that was was really nice just to sit around and chat and, Uh you know, just, you know, talk about different things that had happened and really funny things that had happened and just random things. Um, and then had another couple of days just with a couple of crew members as well. So that was, it was nice not for everyone just to disperse suddenly and I'd be like, yeah. oh, hang on, what, what's, yeah. So we had that kind of decompression time together as well, right. which is really cool. What was the most unexpected thing that occurred? <laughs> Sorry. One of my crew members decided to buy some costumes, <laughs> uh-huh. which was fine. Um, except one he brought was a clown and I'm terrified of clowns. Uh-huh. And he had like this mask on, which made him look like he was from itch. Like right. I was so I was going along <laughs> at one stage along the road and I was with my friend Mary and we both look over and we're like, there's a clown over there. Oh my God, what's going on? And we were 
panicking. Like, we're like, did you think you were having a hallucination? At first I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I always check with whoever I'm with. I'm like, can you see that too? And she's like, no, I can see that. And we're like, uh-huh. okay, fair enough. But then we ended up getting more and more anxious and then just feeding off each other's anxieties because we didn't know because she thought she'd seen one of my crew members who it was. Right. So she was confused about who it was. I had no idea in my foggy brain. And then she said to me, I was like, it's okay, it's okay, it's gone. And then it was on the road behind us. <laughs> we're like, <laughs> and then he was You're running. Literally getting chased tra- by it. We were, we were. And we ended up like having to signal to my other crew um, in the car, just like shut it down, shut uh-huh. it down. Like I was almost in tears. I was so scared. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, um, wow. yeah, I mean, you know, he was, <laughs> he felt mm. really bad afterwards. He's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mm. think you yeah. <laughs> would have that reaction. Um in terms of other things that were surprising, to be honest, like nothing surprised me. Like, I mean, how my body reacted to fatigue, like that was something I hadn't experienced before. But everything else throughout my like ultra racing that I've done, I expected every single thing that happened and was able to plan for it and able to deal with it um, basically in advance. Uh-huh. So um, I wasn't sure how my feet would go in terms of swelling. So we had a couple of different bike shoes, but they were fine on the bike. And then my feet started to swell on the run. So like we cut the sides of the shoes so my feet could spread sideways mm-hmm. and then they started to get too small. So we had another pair of shoes to size up. So like we kind of had pre preempted everything that happened. So there actually was no big surprises. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, Hats off. Thank you. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. it I is. I can't believe you did it. I know. Either can I. <laughs> <laughs> and did it swiftly mm. and and seemingly, yes, difficult, but without all kinds of crazy, unforeseeable obstacles yeah. and things going haywire and yeah. wrong and all that kind of stuff that usually happens. I was incredibly like lucky this. with that. Yeah. I mean, things have the potential of going completely sideways. Yeah, you know, the RV hits a deer or like yeah. you know, stuff happens. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like I could have, you know, broken both my bikes and not be able to ride. Like right. who knows? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, last time you were here, you were about to leave to go to Hawaii to do Ultraman Hawaii, Yeah, um, Ultraman World Championships. And you completed that, but that didn't exactly go to plan, no, right? No, did not. <laughs> no. So what happened? <laughs> Yeah, so um, because of the lava flow, they had to change right. the course. Yeah, so day one and day two were very, very different. So just so, to put a pin in that for a moment, yeah. that's because of the volcano and the lava flow. It's yeah. like there's a whole section of the Ultraman course that literally got you know wiped out with yeah. lava flow. Yeah. So they had to completely reconfigure the entire yeah. thing. Yeah, so at the, um, the pre-athlete briefing, they said, look, we could still use most of the old course, but we're going to go through a community where – half the residents haven't been able to get back to their houses. We don't feel comfortable about taking our very expensive bikes now race through that mm, area. And mm-hmm. I was like, I totally respect that. Um, so that's why they decided to to also change the course. And I mean, hats off to them. They gave us a course, like potentially they could right. have not even been able to do that. Right. So um, yeah, I was, I was quite impressed with that. So they're, Day one swim still the same, and then we rode like out towards volcano, and then they took us back into where the swim finishes. Mm. So that was a day one bike course. So you do, do you do that climb and then no. descend it? No, oh, we basically get near the base of the climb and then turn around and come back. Uh-huh. Yeah, so we didn't have to right. do that last bitch. Yeah, that makes it a little easier. It really was. <laughs> I Just haven't done little. that other course, so I was oh like, well, God. you know, <laughs> I'm going to have to go back. But that climb anyway. is sort of like the the last portion of the Catalina swim where you're, you have headwinds and you're going like two miles an hour up the, it means crazy. Mm. It takes forever. Mm. Yeah. And I had, 
a really nice um, tailwind coming back and the wind had started to really pick up just before I turned and I was like, now I understand what the wind would have been like if I had mm, to climb volcano. Right. Like it was pretty intense. Yeah. Um, and then day two was where like everybody beforehand was talking about day two. They're like, you know, there's um, 4,000 metres climbing, you know, we have to go over Saddle Road. Then we have, you know, just everyone was on edge panicking about day two basically um, beforehand. And that was my stress as well. Like Mm. I just, I didn't know if I was going to get through it. Um, And, you know, after day one, I sat my crew down and I said, look, we have to be as efficient as possible, like racing car drive efficiency every time I stop for anything that I need because I can't waste any time whatsoever. Um, and they were amazing. Like they really stepped up. I looked at my um, my Garmin file later and I had eight minutes out of the 12 hours that I'd actually stopped um, off, you know, off the mm-hmm. bike, not moving time. So mm-hmm. I thought that was that was pretty incredible for them. Saddle road. So basically, did you take the, <laughs> the old highway north? Like how did it work? So I went up the Queen K. And then turned off at, uh, is it Wakaloa, I think, and then right. like went up and then yeah, climbed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so you climb up to Wakaloa and then, yeah, down and then climbed over over Saddle Road um, and then went up to Waimea. Right. So like. And then you do the Kahalas. No, the so end. they had to take the Kahalas out because they there was another race that um, had been through and they decided to pull the permits after that race oh, because, wow. yeah, like people were like playing music really loud at three o'clock in the morning and dropping rubbish and there was a lot of lot of political issues around that. So they ended up just taking us back along the main highway that connects through the Queen K and then up to Harvey and then you turned up to Harvey and rode up to the finish up there. I see. So it was a, li- it was a different finish line mm. as well than, than previous. Right. So this took a little bit longer than you anticipated. Yeah. So I got to their 12-hour cutoff with two and a half Ks to spare. Um, so I didn't didn't make day two cutoff. Um, mm. I think out of the 11 women, like four of them made it. Um, it was, yeah, the, I think wow. it was about like 35% of us that didn't make day two cutoff. It was, uh-huh. yeah, it was pretty, pretty brutal day. Um and in my mind, like I was looking at Saddle Road, I'd ridden it and I'm like, okay, that's really, you know, it's really long, it's hard. But to me, I was like, okay, so what's after that? Because, you know, everyone's like Saddle Road, Saddle Road. And I was like, but you're fatigued enough, then you get to the point and then you've got another 20K climb that no one's ever thinking about because you can't see it on the map because it doesn't have as much elevation, but it's still kind of like a volcano climb. It's still mm. having to climb as well. So, yeah, I mean, I... I rode as hard as I could right. and I didn't get there basically yeah. was was the answer. Yeah. Right. And a lot of people would have just <laughs> pulled the plug and said I'm done, but yeah. you were still within uh, uh, a time frame that allowed you to complete the complete the yeah. event just yeah. to do it as an unofficial finisher. Yeah. Right? So you did the run the next yes, day. Yes, I did. Yeah. 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 And the run course was the same. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the run course is exactly the same. Um like on the on the bike cuz in Epic 5 I didn't have any nutrition problems. So I'm like, all these problems that I'd had in previous Ultramans, I'm like, right, got it sorted, no problems. But because the intensity level in my heart rate is higher, I had nutrition problems again. Yeah. And so on the bike, like I was vomiting for about four hours and able to take in little bits, but not as much as I should have or could have really. Mm-hmm. And so then on the run, I started running and within about half an hour, I was dry reaching and throwing up and I was just like, what am I doing? <laughs> And I feel like that was probably like the most mentally hard part about that because uh-huh. I kept saying to myself, I'm like, why are you doing this? Like there is nothing that's going to change the outcome of you finishing the run today versus not finishing. 
And I just kept running. I'm like, okay, well, you know, I don't have a good answer to stop. So therefore I'll just continue until I find one. And of course I know that I'm never going to find one. (laughs) But it took me, it took me about two hours to actually figure out the answer to that. Um, to that question, I just kind of kept it hanging there. I'm like, why are you still going? I'm like, I don't know. So I'll have to just keep going. And then eventually I came on the conclusion of I don't quit. And if I did quit today, then what was the point of yesterday? What was the point of battling Mm -hmm. all day, basically? Whereas, you know, from as soon as we started, like I was battling to try and get to the finish line in time, then what was the point in doing that? So that's why I ended up finishing the run. I like that. Mm. I think a weaker mindset would have been, I don't have to do this. Like, why am I doing it? As opposed to, um, I need to find an answer to quit uh, versus I need to find an answer to keep going. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. That's amazing. Thank you. So you finished it. So here we are. We are on the cusp of the 10th anniversary of Epic Five. Yes. And as we both know, (laughs) Rebecca Morgan, who was here last time, who's the race director and the angel of all things Epic Five, has something planned to celebrate this 10th year. Uh, And that plan entails something she's calling Epic 10, which is basically doubling to celebrate the the decade long uh, race. She's doubling the distances. So it's doing two Ironmans per island. I th- on all five yeah, islands, right? I Is that how it works? I'm not entirely sure. We're actually catching up with her in, mm. a, in a couple of days, so I'm looking forward to that. I think they're going to include a couple of other islands. Like I'm not sure. They might be doing like two on Kauai, maybe two on Oahu. Um, I think they're going to Lanai as well to oh, wow. do one there, That's maybe cool. one on Molokai. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure how it's, how it how it's all going to work out. But ultimately yeah. it's 10 Ironmans in yeah. 10 days on yeah. a variety of islands. Yes, <laughs> There's Insane. There's inter-island travel involved. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. yeah. So does this tempt you? Not you're just at t- yeah okay. You asked me this right. last time, and my answer's still the same. No, no. All right. <laughs> even so, that's interesting. I think that's very telling. Um, mm. I think it's a healthy response. Like yeah, the it, I wouldn't I wouldn't begrudge you if you thought coming off of Uberman, like oh my god, I just blew the ceiling off what I thought I could do. Mm. Like this is the logical next thing to do. Yeah, yeah. For me, there's a couple of reasons. So one realistically, I actually don't know if I'd be fast enough to then get through each day to get to the next island for time-wise mm-hmm. um, because I'm a very, very good at going long for a long period of time, but I don't have a lot of speed. The so ultimate that tortoise. would be Correct, correct. Yeah. yeah, I just will not stop. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and, yeah, the other thing is I just need a break. Like I just need like that mental break and the idea of putting myself through another huge training block, it just it doesn't appeal to me yeah. at this point in time. But in saying that, I have said to Rebecca, I'll go and help her out. So, yeah, yeah I do Good plan to be there, but just not as an athlete. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, I think it would be good and helpful to um, people that are listening to provide a little bit of wisdom and guidance for for the individual who is inspired by what you've done and accomplished, but is struggling to get off the couch or maybe trying to figure out how to do their first 5K or step it up from, you know, the 5K to the 10K to the marathon. Like, how do you, you know, communicate to that person? 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I love these questions because I get a lot of people saying, especially after the podcast I did with you, that, you know, they've started because they heard me and they mm. heard my journey and heard my story. I so love that's, that. yeah. Oh my God, it's so good. Um, and the other one is, you know, I've told my daughter about you and I was like, oh, it just touches mm. my heart. Um, in my mind, something's better than nothing. So, um, for me, I take all of the, the decisions as possible out of my day to make sure that I can be successful in my sport. So first thing in the morning, alarm goes off. I don't even think about getting up. I just get straight up. All my clothes are already out, ready to go, put them on, get out the door. Remove so the I don't... decision fatigue. Correct. Correct. Because, I mean, my job is incredibly stressful at times and I can get home, just be mentally exhausted knowing I still have a session to do. So if my clothes are already out, I don't let myself sit on the couch. I don't let myself have an out. I just have a, okay, this is what you're doing and then you can stop. So yeah. that's that's the way I kind of manage it. So I think for the people who are, you know, trying to start to do something, it would be not aiming for perfection, not aiming for do something every day. It's like, you know, if you do something three days in a row, take one day off, that's not a failure. Okay, start again the next day. Don't, because I feel... A lot of people are like, you know, if I don't do it 100%, then I'm a failure and I may as well mm-hmm. not even try. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, if, you, if you're or doing if I, something. Or I don't, if I don't look like that person that I see in the magazine oh, yeah. who is crossing the finish line and so why bother? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I know before I did Ultraman Canada, I looked at the um, picture of the athletes and I said to myself, like, does anybody there look like me? And then that informed me of like, oh, actually, they're not all super fit, super human looking people. Maybe I might be able to give it a go. Mm. So I absolutely had that as well. And, you know, still still do to some extent because I have that hang up of like, I don't look like those people in the magazines, yet I can still do these things. So, you know, why can't other people as well? And I think it like we're sort of presuming that everybody knows your backstory because we covered it in the first episode and everybody should go back and and listen to that because I think it helps contextualize all of this. But it's not as if you were, you know, crushing marathons and triathlons your whole life and grew up no. as this like hardened athlete. No. Like this is a new this is still like a very fresh pretty new thing in yeah. your life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I started triathlon in 2005. Right. So, and before that, I was only just doing things for a bit of fun. Never run before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did Ironman for the first time 10 years ago. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I'm still a baby at this. I'm still very right. new. Yeah, that's such a tortoise response. Because somebody's <laughs> like, well, that was a decade ago. You're like, it was only 10 years ago. And I think it speaks to this, this kind of myopic view that we place upon our potential in the sense that we tend to focus on what can be accomplished in three months or six months. And if we can't do it then, then why bother? Or it's too hard or I'm not good enough. And you know, being the tortoise that you are, it's like, take a long view on this. Like it didn't, you didn't do Uberman right out of the gate. Like you've been building towards this for a very long time. And as any good tortoise will tell you, you just keep moving forward. And it doesn't matter how slowly you're moving as long as you're along that trajectory that's getting you closer to that person and that place. Yeah. Yeah. One of my crew actually said to me is like, you know, just relentless forward motion. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking about that all the time. It's like just forward motion, just keep moving forward. Right. doesn't matter how fast or slow you get there in the end, which, yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are you dealing with any like post-event, uh, like mental letdown? Like it's got to be, you have so much energy going into something like this and then it's done and then there's this vacuum. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't. And it was really interesting. So after Epic 5, I didn't have it either. 
And I kind of reflected on like, why, why did I not have that? Like I've had that before where you have this big kind of crash come down. And I'd realized I'd actually done some work mentally beforehand to kind of equip myself for what it was going to feel like afterwards as well. Again, like kind of looking Mm -hmm. back, I didn't realize I was doing it at the time, but what I do when I'm in that deep fatigue, really, really struggling is I think about what it's going to be like after this is done and I actually get quite excited. I'm like, I can sit on the couch, I can yeah. watch Netflix, I can hang out with my friends and I get really <laughs> like, that's going to be amazing. So I just... Um, How long I kind does of that last forward. though? Oh, do you know, it'd be generally about a month. I don't uh-huh. really do a lot. Um, and I also think because we're still traveling at the moment, mm-hmm. like we're not home yet. So right. that kind of hasn't, reality hasn't set back in again yet. Um, but yeah, I probably won't be physically active probably about a month because, you know, like standing up and walking around and walking up a flight of stairs, I'll be out of breath. Like my body is at rock bottom. If I try and do anything right now, I'm just going to like make myself sick or something. So I need to just give myself that time. And then I mean, in that time, if I want to do something, then I will. But if I don't, then I don't put any pressure on myself to have to do something. So that's kind of the mental refresh that I give myself as well. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to put a button in it for now until you go do some other crazy thing. <laughs> and then I come back. Or the documentary comes out and you can come yeah. back and talk about that. Yeah. Um, but any final parting words of wisdom for the weekend warriors and athletes alike? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, you know, back to what what I do, like if something scares you, if something excites you, then, then move towards it. You know, if that's a goal that you're setting two, three years in advance, I completely relate. That's exactly what I do. But, you know, just make steps to move towards towards that end goal. Just, yeah, really, really cool. Awesome. Thank you. You're great. I love, I love oh, talking to you. Thank you so you much. You make my job easy. Oh, I'm glad. <laughs> Super inspiring what you've done and you've created this amazing example for all kinds of people, not the least of which are are young girls who I know Mm. are looking up to you and getting a lot of inspiration from the path that you've blazed. So thank you for that. Thank you. And if people want to connect with you, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah. So I've just started an athlete page on Facebook. One of my friends is... convinced me that's what I need to do. I'm like, okay. Um, so that's um, Melissa Yuri, ultra endurance athlete, um, because my, my private page is just getting a bit clogged up. So I have uh-huh. to kind of move things off that. Um, my Instagram is at Rangamel and same on Twitter. I don't really use Twitter that much. And my blog is rangamel.wordpress.com. Cool. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Come and talk to me again. Oh, I will. Don't right. worry. Peace. Plants. Uberman. <laughs> Can you even believe it? Honestly, in my opinion, I think a lot more people should be talking about what Mel has accomplished. I mean, media, get on that. I'm doing my part here. What are you guys doing? In the meantime, I really hope you dug Mel. So many gems packed into that one. So do me a favor and thank her, congratulate her, and shower some well-earned love on her at Rangamel, R-A-N, G-A-M-E-L on Instagram and Melissa Yuri, ultra endurance athlete on Facebook. If you'd like to support the work we do here on the show, subscribe, rate, and comment on the show on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify for all you Android users and YouTube for the visually inclined. Share the show or your favorite episodes with friends or on social media. And you can always support us on Patreon at richroll.com forward slash donate. Much love for my team who works very hard to put on the show every week. Jason Camiello for audio engineering, production show notes, and interstitial music. Blake Curtis and Margot Lubin, my video team. Jessica Miranda for graphics. Allie Rogers for portraits. 
Georgia Whaley for copywriting, DK for advertiser relationships, and theme music by Analemma. Thank you for the love. I will see you guys back here in a couple few days with me in a special rebroadcast of my appearance on a recent episode of the Outside Magazine podcast. I guest on a lot of shows, uh, but this one stood out. It's special and it goes places I haven't really gone on other shows. So I thought, why not share it on my feed? So here's a quick clip to tie you over. And until then, may you courageously face the excuses that stand in the way of your dreams and begin the process of putting them in the grave. Peace. Plats. Namaste. The veneers of denial were starting to fall away and I was starting to get a picture of the truth of how I was living. What I thought was cool ultimately turned out to be something very dark. Um, but ultimately, you know, I reached that point that you hear with other people in, in recovery, that, that point of no return where you wake up and you finally have the willingness to do whatever it takes. And that's when I ended up in a rehab in Oregon. The challenge of crashing and having to pick yourself back up is really what reveals character. Like that's the test. If my journey's been about anything, it's about kind of trusting those whispers and being willing to have faith and invest in those little signals that are just so faint and yet potentially life altering and meaningful, you know, and everything good in my life has come as an outgrowth of putting service first and recovery first and just allowing whatever else is going to come, come. <laughs>